the Titan. The street was dark and deserted when they pulled up in front of a huge skyscraper. Ted set the parking brake on the tired truck. The two men emerged into the glow of the streetlights that bathed the truck in a mellow pool of light. Good evening, Mr. Whitman, called out the uniformed security guard at the large marble counter in the lobby. Uh, hello, Arthur, replied Ted. The elevator operator's gone home, but I can take you up, said the guard. He met them at a bank of elevators and opened the one closest to the street with a key from a jingling loop attached to his belt. Inserting the key into the control panel of the elevator with a click, he rolled the lever to the top floor as he closed the door. With a slight bump, they began their ascent. The three men rode skyward in that slightly awkward elevator silence. Arthur smiled and nodded at Jack. Jack returned the acknowledgement. When they reached the top floor, Arthur opened the door to another expansive marble lobby. A huge walnut reception desk faced the elevator, gleaming metal letters on the wall behind it spelling out, Whitman Industries. Do you have the key to your office, Mr. Whitman? asked Arthur. Yes, yes, I'm all good, Arthur, thank you, said Ted. Have a fine evening then, sir. Arthur disappeared behind the closing door of the elevator. Jack and Ted were left alone. Mr. Whitman? asked Jack. At your service, Ted laughed and gave Jack's hand a firm shake. Follow me. Ted turned and walked briskly around the reception desk to a massive walnut door. The sound of the lock turning with Ted's key echoed sharply in the empty space. The minute the door opened, Jack's eyes grew wide and he took a mental snapshot of the office of his dreams. So this is what a man cave looks like in 1947, Jack thought to himself. Dark wood paneling grew out of the gray marble floors. Not the cheap paneling you'd find at a big box hardware store today, but amazing, custom-milled, polished wood with a texture that invited touch. Appropriately spaced across the walls were unusual and interesting paintings. The ceiling was an ornate wood paneling of a lighter color. A sprawling chandelier shined down on a serious piece of mahogany real estate, Ted's, Mr. Whitman's, desk. Behind the desk was an expanse of floor-to-ceiling windows facing west. While on the street it was nearly dark, here on the top floor of this skyscraper, the sunset was playing out its last shout of orange, pink, and scarlet miles away. The amber glow lit the room in a gilded warmth of muted color. Ted sat down in the leather chair behind the big desk, which was clean except for the telephone and a very thin stack of papers obviously arranged to get his attention. Ted sifted through the papers, and Jack took a seat on the visitor's side. When Ted looked up and relaxed back into his chair, he looked at Jack, who gave him the What's going on here? stare. Okay. I brought you here to show you the other side of what I do, said Ted. The other side? asked Jack. This is pretty incredible for the other side for a guy who delivers printing all day in an old truck. Yes, Ted agreed, but they really do meet in the middle. This I gotta hear, said Jack. Well, obviously I run a big company, Ted began. Whitman Industries is a multi-million dollar international conglomerate with manufacturing facilities all over the U.S. and Canada, and we just built our first plant in Mexico. We make everything from aircraft parts to toys and all sorts of products in between. These days, I don't even know about half the new products we're making since our plastics division started. You can make anything you can think of out of plastic, it seems. 
Impressive, said Jack, truly impressed. My father started this company about ten years after the Civil War ended. He was only twenty-five years old, but somehow he managed to get a government contract to supply wagons for the Army right here in the land of Lincoln. And over the years, he diversified to stagecoaches and later railroad cars, said Ted. I'm pretty proud of my father. Hey, I bet you are, Jack smiled. I'm very proud of my father, too. He's a stubborn SOB and he's not perfect, but he gave me my entrepreneurial blood, and for that, I'm truly grateful. Tell me about that stubborn part, said Ted. They used to say my dad was as stubborn as a government mule that just ate dinner. Both men laughed. Okay, you own a giant international manufacturing company. So tell me, why were you playing hooky today instead of up here doing your job? Asked Jack, joking but firm. Jack, I grew up in this company. As far back as I can remember, there's been an office and employees and large sheds or buildings with men or women making mechanical things amidst loud noises and machinery. I started sweeping floors in a wagon wheel manufacturing operation, and I really did work my way up the hard way. Now, my father is gone some years, and I'm the guy at the top. I'm not complaining about this job or the company. I'm grateful and blessed. But Jack? Ted leaned in across the desk and lowered his voice. I just got bored. Bored? Jack blurted out. Ted had surprised him in the middle of his success story. You didn't have anything to do? Oh, there's always plenty to do. But for me, it was all easy. Too much the same. Plenty to do, but no challenge, said Ted. There comes a point in a successful company where you worry less and less about innovation and risk-taking. The management gets older, people retire, and everyone starts to think a lot more about playing not to lose rather than playing to win. Ah, Jack nodded. I understand. I see how that makes sense, too. It sure does. Like I said, I'm not upset or angry about any of the evolution of this company. Why, I would be a fool to risk the jobs and security of all these people to solve my own boredom, said Ted, waving his arm at all the invisible employees. This is a serious business. It's not a toy. My father ran it that way, and I do too. Are we getting to the truck driver part? asked Jack again. Uh, yes, of course. About a year ago, I started to get very interested in small business startups. I began taking the odd business trip with some of our salespeople to call on people who were using our products or selling them at the smallest possible level. The salespeople were nervous as heck at first. I mean, why was the CEO of the company riding along with them to these tiny accounts? I'll bet. Go on. Please, this is great said Jack. I asked a lot of questions about how they started, what their struggles were, what they learned from experience, what they thought their business was headed in the direction of, and what they needed in order to get there, said Ted. It was amazing how similar many of the challenges were to what we face here at Whitman, but how difficult they were at that level. Instead of satisfying my curiosity, it got me more excited and interested mostly because of one key difference between what they were doing and what I was doing, said Ted. What's that? asked Jack. Speed of implementation, Jack. Rapid deployment of new ideas. Ted now appeared more like the energized guy who pulled him from the river than a weary CEO who plopped down in his chair to read the mail. 
These guys have things flying at them all the time, and they have to solve problems fast and make things happen. It's the business version of what my friend Roy tells me about flying fighter planes over France in the big war, said Ted. The truck? asked Jack one more time. So I took a month off from work and told everyone where I was going, out of the country, and not to contact me. I told them I was burned out, and I'd talk to them when I came back. But I didn't go out of town. I started a printing business. You've got to be kidding me, exclaimed Jack. Nope. I took a few dollars and started the business from scratch. I figured it out, put all my time into it, made sales calls, and got things going. I made the initial deliveries myself and got to know the customers. We met a couple of them today, like the pawn shop owner down on Maxwell Street. When I came back to work here, I started driving this truck around and delivering printing a couple times a month. I still work in the business, he said, and the really great part is that none of the people at the printing company know that I run this company, and no one here knows about the printing company. That's an amazing story, Ted said Jack. In fact, it's been an amazing day for me all around, starting with thinking I was drowning in the Chicago River and then riding around with you and now here. He paused and gazed out of the sheet of glass behind Ted's desk with the city he loved in darkness. Uncountable, twinkling man-made lights transformed the landscape to magic. He had an overwhelming sense of unreality sitting in this place out of time, like waking up in a strange hotel room and taking a moment to figure out where you are. What was happening to him? Pulling himself back into the present, Jack asked the obvious question. Since you're keeping your adventure in two worlds a secret from... From everyone, Ted filled in the blank. From everyone, Jack continued. Then why would you have told me, of all people, a guy you think is probably crazy, who you pulled out of the river, and who claims he's from the future? Ted turned his chair around and looked out to the same distant sunset. Because you, my strange friend, are the missing piece of the puzzle. Me? What puzzle? What are you talking about? asked Jack. All day long, I've listened to you. A business owner with multiple hot potato businesses yourself have these conversations with all the different people in all these startup businesses. Every conversation eventually came around to what I know is your big question. Should you keep doing what you're doing, or should you sell off four of your businesses and take one as your life's work and drive it as big as you can get it, your own Whitman Industries? Or should you jump way out on a limb, chuck the whole thing, and become a business coach and mentor and do some kind of consulting and speaking and write a book? Ted paused. Is that about right? Wow, said Jack. You nailed me. But how does my dilemma become the missing piece of the puzzle? I don't get it. Don't you see, Jack? Asked Ted softly. I'm in the exact same boat as you. Ha! Laughed Jack. Your boat is a hell of a lot bigger than mine. You know what I mean, said Ted. I'm clearly not satisfied running my multiple companies at the maintenance level anymore and I'm sorely tempted to spend all my time down at the printing company. But even that has started to become less interesting because I know the rest of the story is going to go like such. I'll build a company. I'll hire more people, use the resources to expand, and one of these days, 
I'll be right back in this chair in one way or another. And what have I really done? What have I proven? And more importantly, what have I given back? Jack nodded. Ted spoke in such a remarkably clear way, they thought so much alike. Well, Ted, what do you want to do? He asked. I'm glad you asked. Ted pulled a drawer out from the bottom of his desk and fished out a fat stack of paper. He plopped it down in front of Jack. Here's the book I've been working on. Jack was speechless as he pulled a bundle towards him and stared. This was surely the most industrious man he had ever met. He was running a multi-million dollar company in post-World War II without any of the digital technology that Jack had at his disposal to run a speck of business by comparison, living a second life as a startup printing company owner and personally delivering the product. And he found time in there, somewhere, to write what appeared to be a 400-page book on business, on a typewriter, no less. What the heck is this, Ted? he asked. 